Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monmouth College Conversations. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and every week during the academic year, I sit down with members of the Monmouth College community to talk to them about their interests, what they do, and the things they've done. In this sixth edition of Monmouth College Conversations for the 2022-2023 school year, I visit with Barry McNamara, who also works in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Barry wrote an incredible 13-part series about Monmouth's undefeated football team of 1972, the last Fighting Scots team to end its season without a blemish on its record. century, only one full season of Monmouth College football has ended with an undefeated and untied record. That team was the 1972 Fighting Scots. They were a perfect 9-0, a memorable season that included winning four blowouts before a series of five straight contested victories that was capped by a win over arch-rival St. Olaf College. That victory over the Oles gave Monmouth the program's first outright Midwest Conference football championship. And by the time Monmouth had another undefeated football team, the NCAA Division III playoffs had been created. So that 2005 campaign and three other subsequent seasons ended with a postseason defeat. That makes the 1972 team the last undefeated season for Fighting Scots football. The 1972 team was coached by future Monmouth Hall of Famer Bill Reichow. He brought winning football back to the college. During his 13-year career that spanned from 1966 to 1978, Reichow had an overall record of 79-31-2 and three Midwest Conference championships. But that 1972 season was one of Coach Reichow's legendary teams. Incredibly, the 1972 Monmouth team was not invited to one of the season's bowls for small college teams. Back in 1969, the NCAA started two regional championships for small college teams. The East Regionals, Newt Rockney Bowl, and the West Regionals, Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl. By most accounts, Monmouth should have been invited to play in the Stag Bowl against Heidelberg College of Ohio. Instead, the bid went to one-loss Fort Valley State College of Georgia. Barry McNamara grew up in a house that was located on property that is now part of the Monmouth College campus. His father, Jerry, was a longtime and much-beloved English professor at the college, And last summer, Barry published a 13-part series about the 1972 Monmouth football team that appeared in the Galesburg Register Mail. The series is a must-read for Monmouth and college sports fans. I started our conversation by asking Barry how he became interested in telling the story of the 1972 Fighting Scots football team. I became interested in this project through uh, my job as my part-time work as a a freelance sports writer. I remember walking my dog. It was COVID was going on, you know, hardly anybody was out and about. And I'm like, what am I going to do to write sports now that there's, there's no live sports? You know, it looks like it's going to be this way for months. And so the first 
project. And so right around that time, uh, the last dance came out on ESPN. And I remember just, you know, how, how fun Sunday nights were because, you know, there was going to be new sports on. It was going to be, even though it was old sports, you know, talking about the nineties bulls, it was new. It was a brand new show on Michael Jordan and, and, and those great bulls teams. And I look forward to them every Sunday night. And I'm like, well, is there a way I can do that on a local uh, basis? And so uh, the first place my mind went to was in 1983, our, our, our uh, high school football team, uh, the Mammoth Zippers, won a state title. Uh, the high school uh, just a few miles away, uh, Yorkwood, also won a state title. And I decided to jump in there and, and look back um on those seasons with the guys from the team, you know, many of them are still around. And so, uh, that was the first one I did. I've done a couple ones since, but you know, as 2022, uh, so that would have been 2020 as 2022 came around, uh, you know, it was the 50th anniversary of our 1972 undefeated football team. Well, I'm like, well, that one, that one has to be next. So I kind of started the planning for that in late 2021, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, we were building up to, uh, the fall of, of, of 22 being the exact 50 year at the time, I knew nothing about any fighting Scots champions club. Um, you know, I, I do work with our hall of fame, uh, our club hall of fame here on campus but it's just individuals and so i never had any thought about well you know, you know are we going to do anything for teams i let, I let uh, uh, roger haynes uh, worry about that so this was just uh, purely for the newspaper series that that, uh, that i was writing so I, I started the planning for it did some research looked up some old games and all that kind of stuff then i was very fortunate to uh, make a connection with uh, mike castillo greg durback and paul wazak who come back every so often that's once a month to see their coach, to see Coach Ryko. And so uh, we set it up that we would all go together to see him uh, where, he was, where he's staying and and have this nice long interview. So I think it wound up being a couple hours. Uh, Mayor Rod Davies, who was on the team, joined us there. Grant Miner joined us on the phone. So uh, right there, you know, that, that interview um, with five different, well, six different people, including the coach, got me a lot of information. And then from there, I was able to talk to a few other guys on the phone, Dennis Plummer, Tom Craddaville, um, uh, Charlie Gale, and some others, and, and get their quotes and everything. Uh, and so I was just able to, to put it together slowly. It didn't, you know, it didn't all come together in, in, in a weekend or a, 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 a week, but over the course of a couple months, uh, I just kept adding to it and adding to it uh, for this for the newspaper series that we knew from talking to Galesburg's sports editor would come out in the summer, and we kind of uh, and I went from thinking oh, it's going to be about six, maybe seven parts. Oh, I think it's going to be eight or nine, and finally we settled on ten parts, and then three sidebars. So it was actually thirteen full stories, each about a thousand words long. So it was a thirteen thousand word uh, series that we finally ran uh, in the summer uh, in the Register Mail. Um, and again, you know, a lot of these guys came from elsewhere to come here and then they, they left. Uh, you know, Rod Davies was from Monmouth and he stayed, but there aren't too many guys around Monmouth. So uh, they were all going, how can I get these? How can I uh, uh, get these uh, stories? But, the, you know, they would find, you know, people would pass them on or, uh, you know, they, may, they might have even paid for subscriptions to the Register Mail over the summer. And anyway, they, they got to read them. Uh, and that was that was really cool that these guys got to see those and and uh, and they really appreciated them. Growing up in Monmouth, I mean, you literally grew up on what's now the Monmouth campus. Uh, what kind of memories do you have of the 1972 football team? 
Well, I, I'm not exactly sure that this is from 1972, but the Cornell game was home in 72. And I vividly remember being on the sideline and the uh, and where the where the Cornell cheerleaders happened to be. And my friend and I just thought it would be, I was nine years old. And my friend and I just thought it would be great fun to just contradict everything that the Cornell cheerleaders were saying. So whether that happened uh when I was nine and it was 1972, or maybe that happened when I was 11 and it was 1974. I don't know, but I have vivid memories of that. Uh, I remember that Ron Baker was just absolutely a star. Now, Ron Baker, as it turned out, was only a freshman on the 72 team. He would go on to have three 1,000-yard rushing seasons in a row after that. Uh, but I, I do remember, uh, you know, just, you know, Ron Baker was money. I mean, you know, you give him the ball, he's going to go four or five yards every time and, and just, just wear other teams down. So those are those are my memories, and then and then a little later on, not the '72 team, but a little later on, I was I was kicking um, a, a lot of field goals at that time because I'd, I'd already my soccer uh, skills were starting to come through a little bit, and so I definitely remember going onto the field. But I don't know why I got onto the field in '72 or not, but going onto the field after games was great fun as well. As you mentioned, the players on the 1972 Mama team came from literally all over the, the Midwest. They weren't just local players. Right. And one of my favorite stories is Dennis Plummer. He was from, from Eastern Iowa. And and so we had an alum uh, who made the Hall of Fame on his own um, athletic merits uh, named Doc Blick. And uh, But Doc Blick is also a Hall of Famer in terms of uh, his work as a recruiter. He was uh, a, a minister at, at, by that time um, in Eastern Iowa. And he would just, uh, I don't know if pester is the right word, but he was relentless. And so he would make a connection with a kid. And, and, and so I'll use Dennis Plummer as an example. He, you know, I think he cold called Dennis Plummer, uh, you know, so that was Dennis's first uh, inkling that Monmouth College existed and it was a place that he might play football. And then, and, you know, and Doc went from the cold call, or I think it was a cold call to the high school maybe. And he just showed up and, and asked Plummer to, to, to meet him. And, and, and so, and pull him out of class or whatever it took. And then, so he's, he's meeting with Plummer. He's, he's in his ear all the time about Monmouth and, you know, and Plummer who's, thinking maybe I'll go to the University of Iowa and play because, I mean, he had that kind of skill, uh, comes to Monmouth uh, to, on a visit and decides, that, yeah, yeah, I can see myself here. And and, and it, was, it was getting that level of player and then – not having Coach Ryko have to do all the work, right? Coach Ryko had had Doc Blick in Eastern Iowa. He had uh, uh, Kenny Geiger up in the Chicago suburbs, uh, specifically Cicero and Berwyn, uh, where, where Geiger was a coach, and where we I think we wound up with uh, for that '72 team. I think we wound up ten with ten kids just from that area. And there have been guys that came um, from there before, and probably guys that came after. But uh, just just that you know. Just having those, I I don't know that they they mentioned a guy who was doing the recruiting out east and and, and could get guys like Steve Pincus from from Boston, Mass, and, and and whatnot. I don't know who that individual was, but he was doing a good job recruiting out there because Monmouth College at the time did get uh, a lot of kids from the east. Uh, one story I wrote, he wasn't a football player, but one kid thought he was actually being recruited by Monmouth University uh, and wound up coming here and and he went on to be a great doctor. But uh, he was really surprised to learn it was Monmouth in Illinois. So I don't know how many other kids got confused uh, by the mammoth situation but anyway we were getting them from all over but 
primarily through through Doc Book in Eastern Iowa, through King Geiger in the suburbs, and then just for Coach Ryko's um, hard work. Uh, Rod Davies tells the story. There was a, a you know the Ryko's had a red station wagon, and 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 Rod says you could see that station wagon parked, uh, you know, by the athletic facility at all hours of the night. Uh, he was in there in his office. You know, obviously some of it was game film, but some of it was just making connection with kids and getting them to Mammoth. Uh, and so that uh, that's that's how it all came about that this team got built because what, this team was not anything special. We love Mammoth College football now, and it's and it's great. And uh, we, they win every year. You know, a lot of games, eight nine games every year. But we what we won, we would go uh, for the decade of before Ryko got here. We won. 17 games 17 games in 10 years is not a lot we win 17 games now in two years it took us 10 years back then so coach Ryko really got things turned around you mentioned coach Ryko was it not only the hard work but he had to do something with the team once they got here what was it about him as a coach that made him so successful in your opinion what well, you know he was coach was army tough right I mean he'd been he went to University of Iowa to play football uh, you know so he's obviously a very talented player in his own right but then he left for a while to go be a, an army paratrooper for three years uh, before he returned so he was just army tough and had that army uh, mentality you know the short haircuts the whole thing and and also he knew what it took to be a winner. You don't just uh, say on the the first day that practice starts, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to get into it. Now I'm going to, you know, start playing some football and start getting my body ready. You know, no, he was, you know, you've got to be working hard all summer. You've got to be lifting. You've got to be, you know, doing all the things it takes. And then once practice started, uh, you know, we're not just going to have easy days. These are going to be hard days. He pushed his team, I'm sure, harder than most, uh, uh, Back in, you know, the one-on-one hitting drills, you know, all the running. I mean, the guys just commented on all the running they did. We had a hill that, and still do kind of have a hill that leads up the east side of our football field. You know, they'd run that hill. They'd run lines, which, you know, you think running lines, kind of a ladder situation where their lines were different. They'd go, they'd start in one corner of the field and run the goal line. That's 50 some yards across the field. But then they'd still in the same drill, go up five yards and run back the five yard line to the other end of the field. And they would do that all the way up and down the, all, all the way down the field. That's 21, <laughs> that's 21 sprints of 50 yards uh that that's a that's a heck of a of a workout and that's you know and that would be at the end of practice you know at the end of a two-hour practice oh by the way guys uh, line up face the sun we're gonna do that one so yeah he pushed his his guys hard but i think to a man they would all agree oh my gosh you know we hated it at the time but man did that teach us the value of hard work and and what it takes to really to really get something you want and and coaches word words words for it was are you willing to pay the price? And these guys have used that mantra uh, throughout their lives to, to achieve success in all kinds of business and uh, career initiatives. This is Mammoth College Conversations, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Mammoth College Office of Communications and Marketing. I'm talking to Barry McNamara of the Office of Communications and Marketing. He's telling us all about the 1972 Mammoth College football team, the last Fighting Scots football team that finished the season undefeated and untied. 
But before we get back to our conversation, a reminder that the Monmouth Department of Theater will present William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. That will happen this October 7th through the 9th at the Wells Theater. I saw one of the production's final rehearsals, and it was simply outstanding. So if you're in the Monmouth area, I highly recommend buying a ticket, which you can do at the Wells Theater box office, or by steering your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash box hyphen office. Now let's get back to my conversation with Barry McNamara about the 1972 Monmouth College football team. Monmouth's great football nemesis of the early 1970s was St. Olaf College, who back then was still a member of the Midwest Conference. Barry says that the St. Olaf Oles had been the Scots foil for a couple of seasons. So, you know, the 72 team being 9-0, and um, honestly, they could have been 9-0 and a few years prior to that. But there was a school that was the thorn in our side. And, and I was thinking the other day, and I, and I think one of the guys even expressed this, uh, before the Chicago Bulls got uh, to where they were, there was the Detroit Pistons. And the Bulls would meet them in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Bulls would, you know, maybe get a game one year, then two games, then three games in the best of seven. But they, they couldn't get over the hump against the Detroit Pistons for a few years well for, for the for the fighting scots that team that they couldn't get over the hump against for a while was saint olaf and saint olaf in particular had a running back named ole gunderson and ole gunderson was incredible i mean you know coach rica would, would, would tell you the same i mean he was a very special running back so not only was saint olaf good you know offensively defensively whatnot but then they had this kind of uh, unique talent special talent uh, they would pull both their guards i guess on these sweeps and then and then gunderson would get behind that and he was already good anyway and now he had this blocking out front so uh, to set the stage for this monmouth would have had they won the nine straight games in 72 but they actually beat teams not named saint olaf 29 straight times from 1970 to 1973 i mean 29 straight victories but but there was a loss to saint olaf in 70 and there was a loss to saint olaf in 71 and each of the, both of those losses kept uh you know the scots from going undefeated from winning the midwest conference title uh, saint olaf instead won the midwest conference title so that was the background as you're entering 72 and 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 the only thing that changed uh was that saint olaf did graduate gunderson you know monmouth did you know the guys can't say they ever uh, beat ole gunderson ole gunderson but what they can say is they beat saint olaf and what was kind of interesting to me about the St. Olaf win too is by that point in the season we played St. Olaf in the last game of the year we, we had already clinched the conference championship with a just a special win against Ripon um, the week before and I, and I can talk a little bit about that here in a minute but St. Olaf, you know, the title's already clinched. We're already, you know, we're 8-0. We're already going to be the champions. But everybody, everybody on the team, even, you know, the guys that hadn't played against Gunderson, they wanted to beat St. Olaf very badly uh, to really kind of validate how good their season was. And they did. They uh, they they jumped out to a twenty-seven to nothing lead. I think at halftime, Saint Olaf had uh, twenty-five yards on twenty-two carries. I mean, you know, when Ole Gunderson was there, there was the danger of, of a twenty-five yarder on any carry. But uh, they just completely shut down Saint Olaf's running game. Completely shut down Saint Olaf. Finally, gave up a touchdown late in the game when they uh, it was really sloppy that day, and they they gave up a. a they fumbled deep in their own territory and gave up a 10-yard touchdown drive to St. Olaf to make the final score 27 to 7. So so not only were they the conference champions, but they beat St. Olaf. They were the undefeated conference champions. And that win, even though it didn't mean that much 
in the in the title, it meant a lot to the guys. It really did. And you mentioned that game against Ripon College the week before. That was maybe overshadowed a little bit as history has cast a long shadow over the win over St. Olaf, but the win over Ripon was a big one as well. Yeah, it was. In the series of articles I wrote, I call it the Dennis Plummer game. It's it's incredible that, that – uh, in that game, Dennis Plummer had 297 all-purpose yards. Uh, quarterbacks uh, obviously can throw for 300 or 400 yards in a game, but that's that's not all-purpose yards. What you throw as a quarterback doesn't count. It's what you get as a as a returner, a receiver, as a rusher. So Plummer had 297 uh, all-purpose yards. That today is still Monmouth College's record. 50 years later, uh, Den- what Dennis Plummer did that game uh, still still holds up. Um, he had a 97-yard kickoff return in that game or I think a 95-yard kickoff return in that game, which he described for me. Uh, it was really fun to hear him talk about it. He said, uh, you know, he he took the first two steps really hard one direction. Uh, a lot of guys from Rip and Bid on it, and he did that intentionally. And then he knew he was going to stop after two steps and go the other way, and he said it just opened up. It just opened up, and he just ran right through it. And what's interesting about Plummer is he, he, he you know, might not have seemed like a super fast guy, but once he got going, he was. Uh, the year before, he had run. 97 yards on a play from scrimmage against Beloit. That's you know, no one in the Midwest Conference has done that in 60 years. Uh, Dennis Plummer has that record as well. Uh, so Dennis Plummer obviously had some speed to be able to make those long runs. He broke another kickoff return, almost took it all the way, but but got brought down about at the 20. But then he had this uh, play at the end of the game. What what makes it so? dramatic is that Rippon is putting up a fight in this game. It's not like we were beating uh, Rippon 50 to nothing and, and Plummer had a couple big plays. Rippon's putting up a fight in this game. They have a 24-20 uh, it was a one point game 24-23 at one point. Monmouth was winning but just by one point. But uh, uh, Plummer kind of puts the game away. He goes 42 yards on a touchdown on the same play of maybe 20 plays earlier in the game. He'd almost broke it but but a guy had had, had tackled him that was kind of unblocked uh, or, or slipped free of his block and made the tackle and Plummer said he came back and uh well actually Honeycutt uh, Bill Honeycutt the lineman came back and sa- said that uh, Plummer hit him on the helmet and said man if you would have held that block I'd have made it Plummer said he'd completely forgotten about that 50 years later but yeah I guess I do remember hitting hitting Honeycutt on the head uh, about that so anyway Honeycutt uh holds his block this time Craddleville makes uh, Tom Craddleville makes this this incredible block of taking out a few guys at once and now now, Plummer's got this 10-yard hole to run through. He goes all the way. Still has one guy to beat at the end, but uh, downfield, Steve Rukert makes a, a block as a wide receiver, takes out the last uh, last defensive back for Rippon. Plummer goes all the way, scores the touchdown, and and we seal the victory, which wound up being 40-30. to 30. So, I mean, a great game. If he likes offense, it would have been, it was a great game. It was, it was kind of an aberration. All the other games that were close were, you know, 19-13 or 21-12. But this was, a, this was kind of a, a shootout, and, and Monmouth won. Plummer sets a record that stands for all time. And something else I found interesting, Plummer was only returning kickoffs that game because Johnny Carter was hurt. And, and what's incredible about that team is Johnny Carter, kickoff returner, running back, Hall of Famer. Dennis Plummer, same thing. Kickoff returns, running back, Hall of Fame. Two other running backs in that backfield made the Hall of Fame, uh, Alan Shepard and uh, Ron Baker. So imagine that. I mean, sometimes a great team has, you know, a Hall of Fame running back. Okay, that's great. We had four Hall of Fame running backs in that backfield. That's just, that just blows my mind. Uh, that's the kind of talent we had assembled on that 72 team. Plus, there's some other Hall of Famers as well on that squad. So, Charlie Gale among them. So, what a great team that was. 
1972, there was no Division Three in the NCAA, so there was no Division Three playoff system for football. There was a postseason game. There were two postseason games that were set up for the non-bowl schools, so to speak, the large schools. They're playing college football. Mama thought he was going to receive a bid to one of those bowls, but didn't turn out that way. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, Mammoth had every right to think that they might get a bid uh, there. So Mammoth season, I'm not sure how the schedule worked, uh, but maybe it was a Midwest conference rule, but Mammoth season ended the week before everybody else's did. So, so uh, the Scots finished, they're nine and oh, you know, feeling good about beating St. Olaf. And, and, and so they actually keep practicing because, you know, there's just, there's the stag bowl um, and, and it's basically built as, as the small college national championship game. St. Olaf had, actually gotten a bid for it um two years prior they turned it down uh you know i'm not sure of the reasons but potentially they didn't want to have a lot of their uh, student athletes go you know a, a thousand more than a thousand miles away to play football you know when the football season was technically over i don't know the reason but anyway saying you know so saying you know, midwest conference was on the stag bowl uh committee's uh, radar. So Monmouth keeps practicing. There's four undefeated teams. Monmouth was one of them, two schools in Ohio, and then a school in Georgia, uh, Fort Valley State. And they, the, the other three teams still had games. Fort Valley State actually lost its, you know, its game that next weekend. So now we're down to three teams. And, and so Monmouth had just, you know, there's two berths and, and three undefeated teams. Monmouth thinks, wow, we, we could really get this berth. And the news came down. Um, they and the game was played down in Alabama at the time, so that's close to Georgia, and that helped Fort Valley State. Even though Fort Valley State lost, Fort Valley State got one of the bids, and then one of the Ohio schools got a bid. Um, if if the game had been in Chicago, which it had been previously, uh, a few years previously, if the game had been in Chicago, you know, Monmouth would have been a, a great draw, you know, to have, especially with all the Chicago, Chicagoland kids on the team. But it wasn't. It was in Alabama. So the one Georgia school got in, an Ohio school got in. We didn't get in. And then Coach Ryko had a great quote. I just happened to stumble across it in the register mail because, uh, in my uh, research, because the season was over. But I just kept looking for a, a couple more uh, days worth of, of news and then he said something about how you know uh how they the committee thinks they walk on water or something like that and 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 and, and they ignored the midwest conference and he put all all the midwest you know all the good midwest conference schools up against anybody in the nation so so coach Rico was very frustrated and upset by it the players were all let down uh today 50 years later they they're they're not so much thinking wow we should just jump straight to a national title game but they say boy i wish there had at least been a playoff right I, I wish they we'd at least had a chance to win, you know, two or three more games and, and earn our right to the national championship game through a playoff. But uh, that wasn't in existence yet. And then the playoff thing does add to the whole undefeated thing. You know, Monmouth College has had undefeated teams since the '72 team, but when, when, you know, once they've reached the playoffs, you know, maybe they win a game uh, or maybe they don't. But they 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 haven't been able to go undefeated through the playoffs. So that's why there's only this one undefeated team from 1972. What surprised you most about this team then when you started this project you didn't expect to learn? Oh boy, that's a good question. I didn't I didn't prepare myself for that one. Um, let's see. 
Well, I mean, one thing that, you know, that Mike Castillo said was, you know, there just weren't any egos on the team. And then that got repeated. I heard that over the, over the weekend from others. And, and boy, you think that's kind of hard to do. You've got these, these guys that are, you know, old, you know, ultimately going to make the Hall of Fame and, and, and they're setting some school records for gaining yards and whatnot. But there must have just been this really close sense of camaraderie. And and then also a kind of a comparison I made to the Chicago Bears is that, you know, you think of the Bears and you think of like Steve Mongo, McMichael and Dan, you know, Danimal Hampton. And they were characters, right? You know, I mean, they did the Super Bowl shuffle and everything. And they're just a confident group with swagger and everything. And I think that's something else I didn't really know about this team. But this team had that. The, uh, many of them came from two fraternities on campus, uh, ATO and Theta Chi. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was a John Belushi Animal House, but I mean, I'm th- I'm saying that they they knew how to have a good time uh, with w- with their fraternity brothers, uh, and so the fact that they were a cast of characters and that they were just this really tight knit bunch, uh, those were two things that I guess you could you could reason that that was going to happen that they were they have to be a tight knit bunch to be that good, but uh, those were some things I learned about the team that I didn't know going in. That's Barry McNamara of the Office of Communications and Marketing reflecting on Mama's perfect. 9-0 football team from 1972. You can read more about the team in the summer issue of the Monmouth College magazine, and that's available at monmouthcollege.edu news. There's also a wonderful video tribute to the 1972 team produced by my co-worker, Emily Renwick. You can view that on the Monmouth College YouTube channel, and that's at youtube.com slash monmouthcollege. And don't forget, Romeo and Juliet is this October 7th through the 10th at the Wells Theater. And that's a wrap on this sixth episode of Monmouth College Conversations. Tell us what you think or add to the conversation by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put conversation in the subject line. Until our next conversation, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody, and have a nice day. 